0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and the tricky topic of weight loss. Every episode, you get a new host to talk about the thing we cannot get off of our minds. And today, you've got me, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate. Recently, I read an essay by someone who is on Ozempic, a hot new drug that has been used for weight loss. This writer was prescribed the drug because of her BMI— and she describes the horrible fat phobia that made her want to take it. But she also now feels shame for taking a weight loss drug. In the essay, the anonymous writer asks Am I vain for wanting to lose weight through a doctor recommended method? Is it my responsibility to be well adjusted enough to be unaffected by societal fat phobia and misogyny? This is the double bind, maybe triple bind so many of us find ourselves in. To think through some of the sticky questions around it, I wanted to talk to Tamara Haspel. She's been a journalist for over 20 years and is the author of books including To Boldly Grow, Finding Joy, Adventure, and Dinner in Your Own Backyard. She thinks about food and health from a lot of different angles. She writes a column for the Washington Post about food and nutrition. One of her recent columns was specifically on weight loss. And how there are tons and tons of different strategies from cutting carbs to intermittent fasting. They all have fancy, sciencey explanations, but they all obscure what to her mind is the most important factor in weight loss, which is eating fewer calories than you burn. Which, she explains, is absurdly difficult. What I find so interesting about this column is, for me, it illuminates how the diet industry is just full of shit <laughs> How it traps people, especially women, into a cycle of false promises and yo-yoing and pseudoscience. You know, if only you knew this one weird trick, you could look different. And that is not the case. There is no trick. It's just hard. Tamar writes, Only you know where your diet goes off the rails. Which foods are your undoing? How changes fit or don't in your life? My hat is off to the people who are comfortable at whatever weight they are and focus on other aspects of their health. In light of that Ozempic essay, I just thought these were such interesting principles from which to have a discussion about weight loss, something that is so personal and can feel so fraught to talk about as a feminist. There are, of course, plenty of reasons why you wouldn't want to listen to an episode of The Waves about weight loss, If that's you, maybe check out our January episode with Aubrey Gordon, which focuses on the merits of forgetting about weight loss altogether. We're going to get into my conversation with Tamar right after this. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Recently, we've been talking about women producing movies to change the Hollywood landscape and dull marriage. Welcome back to The Waves. Tamar, thank you so much for being here with us. Shannon, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I've been reading your nutrition columns at The Washington Post uh, for a while now, and We are here specifically to talk about a column that you wrote towards the start of this year about what you call crank diets. But before we get into that, I want to um, talk about this uh, short list that you wrote in 2021 titled, Five Truths About Dieting Everyone Can or Should Agree On. I think that number five on this list will be a good one for us to get into to maybe you set the tone a little bit for this discussion since we're a podcast about gender and feminism and we're talking about weight loss. So you write in that column that you've fought your weight all your life and that often when you write about weight loss, you hear from folks who uh, think we should stop talking about weight loss. Um, and that will help cut down on um, the the nastiness around weight. And so number five on this list of things that we all can and should agree on is the world should be kind and supportive for everyone at every weight. But you do not agree with the folks who think we should stop talking about weight loss in order to get there. Why not? It depends what you mean by talking about. So if
1: if weight you know, weight and weight loss is taboo and we're not allowed to mention it or discuss it i think we do a disservice to people who are then at the victims of charlatans and diet peddlers and i think that weight loss is is a brutally inherently personal decision and i think society has to be supportive of people who decide they don't want to lose weight and people who decide they do want to lose weight because neither one of those is a bad decision. It's just a personal decision. So when I write about weight loss, I try and make clear that I'm writing for people who decide for themselves that weight loss is the right choice for them. I, I, and you know, Shannon, this is something I have changed my mind about. I used to think that because there are clear health benefits at some point to being thinner, and of course it's really hard to pinpoint that point, and that's a whole different discussion, that there should be a, a should in weight loss. But it, it has become clear to me for a long time now that health benefits being what they may, happiness trumps them. And trying to lose weight makes people miserable. And if it makes you miserable, then maybe there are better choices. But there are some people, and of course, I think that this is true of everybody, but I think it's particularly true of of women who go the other way, who decide that trying to lose weight, trying to eat well, trying to stay fit, and trying to manage their weight um, is something that works for them. And it has worked for me. And so I want to make sure that I write for other women who choose that path. But I always want to acknowledge that it's a personal path and it's a path with no should and that lots of women don't choose it.
0: I think that that's a really, really good, I I don't want to say like disclaimer to this discussion because that makes it sound like it's dangerous. But yeah, I think that that gets into so this column that you wrote um, in January about crank diets and how like a lot of diets are dressed up in all of this like sciencey language that like if you just avoid these foods or if you cut down on those foods, you will lose weight and you will be successful. Um, What is a crank diet?
1: Well, everybody's got a different definition. (laughs) But here's mine. For me, a crank diet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So whenever you read about a diet, what you read is that Weight loss is, and fill in the blank, easy, possible, easier, if only you do this one thing. And the one thing always has some, as you say, some super science explanation involving polypeptides or insulin or, you know, leptin or fat stores or something like that. And that's the thing that people latch onto. That's the thing it gives them reason to believe. But in reality, what these diets do are what all diets do is to give you some strategy that you end up ingesting and therefore absorbing fewer calories. How, how many times have you heard calories in, calories out has been debunked? Well, I'm here to rebunk because it's not nutrition, it's physics. You have to absorb fewer calories than you burn. And of course, the calories you absorb aren't exactly the same. That's not the same number as the calories you eat, because some of them pass through you. And of course, what you eat can also affect how much you burn um, within very limited ranges. But basically, the, you cannot defeat the equation. And what all of these diets do are give you give you a strategy to eat less, but they cloak it in this science explanation that, you know, when they do trials, doesn't really pan
0: out. You write that no diet works for weight loss in the long term. And you also write that, you know, a smorgasbord of diets have worked for you. And I'm wondering how those two things square. Like, if no diet works in trials for the long term, how is it possible that, like, A diet does work for you and you can encourage your readers to like also try to like cobble together a diet that works for them.
1: Because that key part is in trials. And so what's happening, the reason diets fail in trials and the reason that they fail out in the world for the most part is because people can't follow them. They're not designed for you, Shannon, or for me, Tamar. They're designed around this science principle that diet purveyors seem to think apply to everybody. And so when somebody else gives you a prescription about what to eat, without knowing that, you know, your grandmother's mac and cheese is non-negotiable, or you really hate mushrooms, or whatever it happens to be, or, you know, salmon's not in your budget, or your kids can't stand dark meat chicken, whatever it is— That's a recipe for failure because trying to change your eating habits is this deeply personal thing. And the only person who has a snowball's chance
0: in hell of figuring out a way to eat less for you Mm -hmm. is you. Can you talk a little bit about how you designed your kind of customized diet that works for you and what that entails?
1: You know, I struggled with my weight. Let's let's do full disclosure here. I am five foot nine and I weigh about 145 pounds. That gives me a BMI of about 21. So I'm not overweight. I'm not underweight. I'm, you know, that category that we used to call normal, but we don't really have a good word for anymore. And at my heaviest, I probably weighed 50 pounds more than I do. And it was certainly enough to go out in the world and be received as an overweight person. I struggled mightily, in all kinds of ways, just to try and eat less. But the thing that actually succeeded for me, I quit my job. And it was when I got my first book contract. It was in the late 90s, and I, I embarked on a career as a writer. And from that day to this, I have always uh, worked at home. And what working at home does for me is it enables to control me to control my food environment. And the thing that undermines us is our food environment. We are surrounded 24 7 by food that is specifically designed to be overconsumed. There are people in like white coats with billion dollar budgets, and their mission is to get you to eat more. And their goal is to overcome ordinary human willpower. And of course, they succeed because they have these huge sets of tools to do that. And so when I stopped going to an office every day, I stopped, you know, stopping in at the coffee shop and getting the corn muffin that was part of my morning routine. I stopped having to walk by, you know, the birthday cake and I stopped uh, going out for lunch with my coworkers because that was like the high point of my day. I didn't much care for my job at the time. And when I was able to control my environment, I realized that I could change my habits. And because it wasn't about hunger, it was about temptation. And I think that getting myself out of temptation's way was the only way I could do that. Now, if I had realized that while I was still working, I could have had strategies to employ when I was working, but I never figured that out until after the fact. So the things that work for me, I don't keep anything that calls my name and is easily easy to eat in the house. There's ingredients, but you have to make them into something. You can't just eat them. I don't eat after dinner. I mean, sometimes we have something for dessert, but usually not. I cook when my husband cooks, we cook almost all of our meals. We don't eat out very often. We eat very few ultra processed foods. And so all of this is designed so that I can eat things that are delicious and satisfying and I never feel deprived, but I never end up overeating the things that tempt me because I keep them out of my way. If I want ice cream, we go out and I get an ice cream cone, just one. And and that's and there are some
0: other things too, but that's how I manage me.
1: But everybody's different.
0: I can definitely see the like argument on the other side i'm using air quotes here because i'm not sure that we're that, that there are like two sides here as like healthy at every size people and the people who think diets work like i don't know that it kind of squares off that neatly but you can see the argument on the other side being like well like that's nice for you and for people like me who can work at home and who can control their environments tightly but what if you don't have the option to work at home and you have little kids who you have to feed and who are picky eaters and like the lunch out with coworkers where you stop for ice cream and that's the high point of your day. And like, how could you get rid of that? Like, um, that's what makes life, uh, worth living. You can create a totally logical argument saying like, Actually, like people shouldn't have to lose weight. Like, we didn't create this environment. The guys who make the Doritos created this environment.
1: And I'm totally down with that. And if, you know, lunch is the high point of your day and kids are your focus and, you know, these are the things that fit into your budget and your lifestyle, then maybe deciding that not trying to lose weight is the right path for you. This is what I mean by it's being personal. And so, I think that nobody should tell anybody else either that they should or they shouldn't lose weight.
0: We are going to take a quick break here. But if you want to hear more from Tamara and myself on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment, where today we're going to talk about that weight loss drug that I mentioned at the top of the show, Ozempic. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com/thewavesplus.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,
0: What did you get from that point personally, where you you think that like weight loss is a should to weight loss is extraordinarily personal, and that's a choice that everyone has to make for themselves?
1: I think mostly it's talking to people and reading about people uh, because you read about. Okay, it's so empowering when somebody is successful at losing weight and they talk about how they've been successful and this empowers them and it makes them feel strong and confident and that's wonderful. But then you also read about people who tried to lose weight? Who lost weight and gained it back? And it makes them miserable and disempowered, and all the opposite things are happening. And then you read about women, and it's mostly women, although you know almost everything applies to men as well, but it, it applies to women more so. Um, women who have found a way to be happy at the weight that they are, and and it's a strength that I really admire. And I'm in Miami beach right now. And if you go out the door of my apartment building and you go right, we're right on the beach here and you go out to, to the beach, you see women of all shapes and sizes wearing the teeniest little bathing suits. And I am here for it. I love it because I ha- never felt comfortable that way. And I think we need a society that makes people feel comfortable at the beach in all sizes. I am in favor of this, but I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss, I don't want to discourage people who want to try to lose weight because it's a perfectly rational and I think in the right hands achievable goal.
0: I'm wondering if we could think through a little bit more about what happens when we take discussions of weight loss off the table, because that's kind of something that I see happening a little bit in the circles that I run in. We have a group at work called Slate Ladies, and um, I I was saying that I had started um, tracking my vegetable intake because I wanted to eat more vegetables. So I had found this, I really, really didn't want an app that was going to encourage me to lose weight or, or give me like reminders about how thin it thought I should be. So I found an app called See How You Eat, where you just take pictures and I could kind of get a read on like if there was more green in there than yesterday, that kind of thing. And someone was like, I'm surprised to hear you talking about food tracking. It just kind of feels almost taboo. So what's the danger in, in that? Um, I feel a little bit frustrated with that, like, little bit of tabooness myself. But I'm I'm wondering, like, if you could help me think through, like, what we lose when we can't talk about it.
1: You know, we all think about this all the time. And the fact that we think about it all the time is an indication that it is a real issue for people. And for women and making it taboo to talk about it isn't going to make the issue resolve itself or go away. I think we have to change the nature of the conversation we have because women are reminded every time they walk out their front door how much their weight matters. And if they can't bring those concerns to other women who are struggling with the same issues or who are thinking about it or writing about it, then where can they go with it? Into their bathroom to cry? Because if you haven't shed tears over, your own naked image in the mirror, I think you're probably in the minority because I know I have. And I think what we have to provide is a supportive place to have those conversations, a kind place, a compassionate place, but also a science-based place because there are health issues involved in this. And and I think that making it taboo to even talk about is, is sweeping it under the rug. And I think that, that this is an issue where feminism has failed women because it has left us with absolutely no comfortable place to stand on an issue that's way more important than any of us would like it to be, which is our appearance.
0: I'm wondering what you have found useful in conversations with your friends or... In your columns, when you're speaking to your readers, like, how do you get into a productive space to talk about weight loss?
1: Okay, my number one goal talking about weight loss is empowerment because I think that how we got into this mess has been incredibly disempowering. So, first, we got plunked down in a food environment that is not navigable by 75% of American adults. And let's be super clear about this. When three quarters of people can't navigate the system successfully, the problem is the system, not the people. And so we get plunked down into this food environment that's almost impossible to navigate. Then we get fed this steady diet of Diets. (laughs) Diets. <laughs> and each one is different. Each one has its own rationale. Each one comes with somebody in a white coat telling you weight loss is easy if only you do this. Everybody knows weight loss is hard, yet everybody latches on to the next new diet that says it's easy. Why? Because these diet doctors, these diet, some of them are charlatans, some are some of them are working in absolute good faith trying to help people. And what they do is they are appealing to our worst instincts because we all want to solve hard problems the easy way. And they're appealing to to what's worst in us. And by doing that, not only do they set us up for failure, but they set us up to – to internalize the idea that weight loss is this thing that other people tell us how to do, that we can't, as ordinary people, figure out for ourselves. And so I think every weight loss conversation has to start you know, with the goal of empowerment. And what I tend to do is I ask people, tell me, tell me what a good food day looks like to you. And you know what? Most people can tell you I, I mean they they know that they you know they don't get tempted by the whatever it is the lucky charms for breakfast and they have oatmeal and you know they get a walk-in and whatever it happens to be and that emphasizes the idea that you already know what to do it's not diet isn't a isn't a knowing problem it's a doing problem. Knowing is easy. Doing is hard. Yet we have this whole, you know, smorgasbord of crank diets that are all about knowing. It's not a knowing problem. It's a doing problem.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you would say to lis- a listener who says, I am interested in thinking about my weight, and I am interested in losing a little bit of weight. But The problem is when I try to like concoct my ideal diet and and I try to put together the tools that work for me, I am thrust into this world of books and apps that are asking me to lose weight at a certain rate or have an ideal weight in mind for me that's like much lower than I'm comfortable with or have images of women that feel unattainable for me. And and I know that if I go down that path, I'm going to get fast-tracked into this in a way that's, like, not good for my brain. Is is there, like, a place to start that feels, like, healthier? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Shut them all down. That's what empowerment is about. Nobody else can tell you how to do this. And I I always jokingly say, listen to me and only to me. (laughs) That there are so many conflicting messages. And you know what? They want your money. And this is this completely personal thing that you have to decide for yourself. But that said, I think that there you can reach out. I think that one of the best things you can do, and there is some evidence about about why this matters, one of the best things you can do is find other people who are going through the kinds of things that you're going through who are supportive of you. And, you know, I saw a study a number of years ago about what differentiates so that I believe it was people who had gone through a diet trial and lost weight, and they revisited those people afterward and looked at the people who had regained versus the people who hadn't regained and tried to figure out, okay, well, what's different here? And one of the biggest differences was that the people who continued to lose, um, were had had support. They had support at home. They had support in their families. They had support with friends. And you know, if you have, for example, a regular walking date twice a week with somebody who's in your situation, you get a chance to talk about this. You get a chance to um, to air your grievances, to talk about your frustrations. I think this is hard to do. And this is what's difficult about talking about weight loss because it's fucking hard and there are no easy answers. And so, you know, encouraging somebody to embark on a journey that's really hard, that's, you know, that's why I don't do it. That's why it's, it's something that you have to decide for yourself, but having support is huge. But I think support is moral support. Support is emotional support. It's not telling you the rate at which you should be losing weight.
0: Right. It's a it's not a knowing problem. It's a doing problem. I spent a long time um, reporting on wellness products and in particular, like kind of skincare products. And like, how do you know what kind of sunscreen is best for you? And how do you know what ingredients clear up your acne and all of that kind of thing? And like, I've kind of learned that the answer is, well, there there are a couple things that are pretty good guesses, but sort of the best thing you can do is, like, go to a dermatologist and, like, have a conversation with them about your skin and the particulars around your skin and your goals for your skin. And that feels very, like, analogous here in a lot of ways where, like, talk to a friend, maybe, like, talk to your doctor if you have a compassionate doctor who's, like, willing to strategize. It's that element where you're, like, having someone to bounce ideas off of, about your body, not this entire scientific body of literature that like may or may not be relevant to you.
1: So it, it's like the, the, the analogy I always use is that you know, like New York City has a parking problem, but you don't have to solve the parking problem. You just have to find a parking space. <laughs> and, and that's the thing about weight loss. I mean, all of the data say that the deck is stacked against you and it is, make no bones about it. But should you decide that this is the path you want to go down, there are things you can do that aren't prescriptions of eating that can help you. And I think because um, it's our food environment that's really screwing us in this regard, a lot of those things have to do with rejiggering your food environment rather than prescribing certain things to eat and not to eat.
0: I want to take your picking and choosing strategies to diet with. I, I want to take that strategy one step further and suggest that like it can be helpful, even if you go down this path of weight loss. It's not this black and white thing of like, I've decided to lose weight, so now I'm gonna like hit the beauty standard and I'm gonna be like super thin. And i it's so interesting when you hear doctors talk about um weight loss, like Julia, who who's a a wonderful freelance science writer.
1: She's a friend, for full disclosure.
0: When I read her work about weight loss, one of the things I've learned from reading that is like, if for folks who have a high BMI, it's not a question of getting down to a really low BMI. Health-wise, it can be a matter of losing 5% of your body weight, 10% of your body weight. That can be like a really great health choice for you. So I think like kind of combining the strategies that you're talking about around losing weight with the strategies from the healthy at every size folks and the like feel good in your tiny bikini folks to kind of meet yourself part way. So you're not like trapped in this like, well, more weight loss is better cycle. That's like kind of how I've been trying to think about beauty standards lately <laughs> and and just living as a person within this structure.
1: And what you just said, that there's so many factors that influence not our weight specifically, but how we feel about our weight, that it emphasizes just how individual and personal all of this is. And, you know, I, I think that the decisions that you make have to do with those things, but they also have to do with external things. Like, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm married to a wonderful supportive partner and uh, he and I cook together. And um, when my weight creeps up and I decide I have to change things a little bit, he never complains that there's no potato chips in the house. Um, I have work that I find compelling and satisfying. So I don't have to present myself in public and to try and get a job where weight stigma might come into play. And so you know, for me, I can see reasons why I can relax my vigilance a little bit. And the thing that prevents me from doing it is how I feel about myself and no none of those external things. But if you're young and those things are coming into play for you in different ways, Those can matter too, as well as how you feel about yourself and your health, because being overweight makes people unhappy long before the health consequences kick in. And I think that talking about it only as a health issue ignores that, and we do that at our peril, because every woman who's ever gone out in the world overweight knows that it's a matter of appearance as well as health
0: it's like kind of wild to hear someone say that out loud. Oh, and But it shouldn't be, should it? Yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah, it's true. So
1: we want the world to be a place where our looks don't matter or where they matter a whole lot less. And I think we should work toward that place. But right now that's not where we live. And you know, if you are overweight and you go out in the world, People are going to discriminate against you when you go for jobs. You will not be, at least in a heterosexual market, I'm not going to talk about homosexual markets because I, those aren't the ones I understand, you are going to appeal to fewer people as, as a potential partner if you are overweight. And we cannot like that all we want. But that is the reality of the world, and it's one of the things that makes us rational if we want to lose weight. And But again, I don't think we should let up on trying to fix those things. But, you know, we started off this conversation talking about how it's probably unreasonable to expect all standards of appearance to, you know, go off the human's radar because they've always been there. So beauty is always going to matter. And I think we should work toward a society where it matters less.
0: Tomorrow. Thank you so much for coming on this show. This was a really, really interesting conversation.
1: Shannon, thanks so much for having me. I think this is an important conversation, and I don't think we're having it in a constructive, clear way, sort of writ large in society. So I'm really glad that you're welcoming it here.
0: That is our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth and Tori Dominguez. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We would love to hear from you. Email us at thewavesatslate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. Thank you so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you're a member, you get this weekly segment with bonus content. Today, Tamara and I are going to talk about Ozempic. Ozempic has kind of become the, you know, generic Kleenex name to refer to a class of drugs that include Wegovy and Manjaro, and these injections, uh, they're very expensive. They can be upwards of $1,000 a month. They manage diabetes, and they can also cause weight loss. They can be prescribed specifically for weight loss. As a science editor and a feminist, I have been following the conversations around these drugs with really intense interest. When we had Aubrey Gordon on the show in January, she was really clear that these drugs are not great for fat people, in her opinion. That they say that fatness shouldn't exist. You should just take this injection and not be fat, which is awful. But there are other folks who who take these drugs or who think about weight loss and who say these drugs actually are a weight loss aid that can be really useful for people. There was a really, really good op-ed in the New York Times by Julia Belouz that explains that these drugs kind of take away that, like, willpower (laughs) piece of the weight loss argument and their existence kind of says it's not your fault you can't lose weight is it's because it's really difficult and because it's actually something that like a lot of people need help with, even most people. So I was really interested to get Tamar's take on these as someone who has struggled with her weight and has purposely lost weight herself. I want to ask you one more question. And this is the question that I've been obsessed with asking like everyone smart I talked to for the past two months. What do you think about Ozumbic. Oh, <laughs> I,
1: I think they should put it in the water. <sighs> really? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. Um, say more. <laughs> okay, it's injectable, so they can't. But yeah. Um, but I think, and I think anyone who works with people, like I've talked to clinicians about this, who work with people who are overweight, anyone who's talked with people who are overweight, the idea that there is a drug that can successfully help people navigate the food environment, because that's what it does. It makes these foods less appealing to people. It makes overeating less appealing. And so, you know, we have this food environment that's been pumped up on steroids, and Ozempic is a drug that combats it by basically pumping up your defenses commensurately.
0: That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to Slate.com slash The Waves Plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash The Waves Plus.